Hi, I'm Andy Moore, your Friday host of the 8 O'Clock Buzz. Thanks for spending your mornings with us. We love bringing you this blend of art and music and news and politics and, and more. In return, we ask that you spend a little to support this show. And it's easy. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. It's Friday 8 O'Clock Buzz. I'm Andy Moore. That was Matthew Deere wrong with us that's a perfect cut on queer uh to set up a conversation about uh, uh, cl- uh climate change um it, it, by the way welcome to the podcast uh, this is a podcast today uh, before we get going though uh with uh with this uh, segment one a quick note about next week and next friday's program on tuesday governor tony evers you may know will present his 2024 state of the state address at the capitol and next friday governor evers will be a guest here on the friday buzz and we'll go over the items in the state of the state with governor evers that's a, a week from this morning right about this time so we'll look forward to that that's next friday the governor will be here um okay segment one you know you live in wisconsin when it goes below zero for like most of a week and hardly anybody talks about it. You know, Packers, yep. Politics, yep. Uh, But not a mention of the deathly temps that are a way to kill you when you take out the garbage. Um, Yet, come summer, when the temp goes above 85 and Wisconsinites stay in the house and call each other on the phone about it, all all of this would be in good fun. Were it not for the fact that those warmer days are getting warmer and more plentiful, more to talk about, I guess. Um, we thought this extreme weather week it might be a good time to, to check in with a, with a climate change specialist. Dr. Steve Vavris is a senior scientist at the UW-Madison Nelson Institute Center for Climatic Research. His specialty includes extreme weather and Great Lakes region weather trends and among many other things. Dr. Vavris, uh, good morning and welcome to the Friday Buzz. Thank you, Andy. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, it's sometimes hard for non-scientists to to think in terms of like millennia. Um, it, it, we tend to, to point to an unusually hot day in August, like I was saying, and say, see, climate change. So it's a little weird, but just for context, what would the weather have been like in Wisconsin this week 10,000 years ago? Well, uh, no one uh, can, can pinpoint a specific week in the past, but we do know that uh, 10,000 years ago, it wasn't long after glaciers receded from Wisconsin following the peak of the last ice age. So I would expect that our winters were still uh, awfully cold at that point, um, similar to what we've experienced the past week, in fact. Hmm. Uh, but your point's well taken. We need to think of climate change in the big picture and not get uh, too hung up on a single week or a single month hmm. or a single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been huge variations in climate over millennia and, and millions of year timescales. Yeah, even that 10,000-year example is a drop in the bucket, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Right. In fact, when I talk about climate change to public audiences and I say things like, well, this only happened 10,000 years ago, I get chuckles. And then I realize, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, for most people, that's a long time. But for, you know, a, a climatologist, that really is a drop yeah. in the bucket. There's nothing to it. Um, some of your research focuses on how heat waves and cold spells, floods and droughts and things like that respond to, to changing climate in the U.S. If you would connect the dots uh, between those weather conditions uh, I just described and the uh, occurrences of things um, uh, like floods and, 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 and wildfires. Um, the, how, how are those two things interrelated, the, the more, more flooding, wildfires, and worries and, and, and physical evidence of climate change? Right. So in total, uh, we're seeing an increase in extreme weather collectively. 
In fact, last year in the U.S., we had $28 billion weather disasters. That was a new record. And there's been an upward trend in that, that statistic over the years. And some of these extreme weather events, like you described, are interconnected. Um, when we get these big undulations in the jet stream and the, and, and the winds uh, move in places where they, they, they aren't typically seen, um, we, we, one place like Wisconsin could be very cold, but then downstream and the other part of the jet stream, it could be very warm, unusually warm. And we get the same sort of things in terms of cold and, and or, um, in terms of wet and dry. Uh, for you, the warmest December on record in Wisconsin just now, but yet parts of Asia were really shivering. Parts of Siberia had record cold. China was really struggling. Blizzards in Moscow. So um, it's not uncommon for one part of the world to have a very different, even opposing type of extreme weather at the same time as another area has, has a different type. This question returns to the time compendium we, we touched on a moment ago. Many of us... Um, think the human impact on climate change has a comparatively contemporary starting line, um, like with the Industrial Revolution. But it goes back much further than that, right? Can, can you, can you uh, put the, the human fingerprints on this more a, 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 in a relevant time? Right. So I give you a couple of time scales, and both of them involved uh, human land use decisions or land management. If you go back and look at the literature on climate change from about the 1800s, including in Wisconsin during a time of rapid deforestation, people were really concerned about the climatic effects that deforestation was having on our local climate, uh, creating more extremes, for example. And and that's a, a reasonable uh, expectation as we get less forest cover. Um, but if you go back much farther to the time of uh, the beginning of agriculture, about 10,000 years ago, uh, research that I've done with others, including folks at UW-Madison, have indicated that uh, probably the human fingerprint on global climate began with the Industrial Revolution. And within a few thousand years, we'd actually changed the normal evolution of uh, carbon dioxide and methane concentrations in the atmosphere to the point where we were artificially warming global climate way back when, well before the Industrial Revolution. Suddenly, the, the few thousand years of, of, for the evidence to show, that really sounds just like a, a nanosecond. Right, right. Um, but it also makes perfect sense because when, when there was large-scale uh, deforestation and rice paddy cultivation with the advent of agriculture, that, that necessarily put more carbon into the atmosphere, mm -hmm. transferring it from land. Uh, so I think it does make sense, but you're right. It, it's not that long ago, but it, it's considerably farther back than most people think. When we think about global climate change, we generally think it began, you know, 200 years ago with industrialization. Um, but I and many others think that it began much earlier than that. You know, Steve, um, for someone who who who, who is called to, to talk about these rather alarming conditions, you have a really soothing voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I try to be positive. There are some positives in, uh, amidst the negatives. Well, I haven't heard uh, any but yet, really but uh, but your voice <laughs> is, um, is 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 very calm and soothing. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, that calm and soothing voice um, with the head full of climatology, as Dr. Steve Vavris says, he's a senior scientist at UW Madison Nelson Institute Center for Climatic Research. Um, he'll he he is also. Um, 
available uh, by the hour to read uh, uh, bedtime stories to your children. So um, uh, that's uh, that's a side gig. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, Give us um, Rogers imitation, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Steve, give us uh, the thumbnail on what's melting and and the rate in the Arctic. Well, there's two types of ice that's melting that are melting in the Arctic. One being glacier or land ice, like the Greenland ice sheet. And that kind of ice is concerning because it can raise global sea levels. Uh, so if you have, uh, say, you know, ice on land and then it melts, that meltwater increases the mass of the ocean and we get sea level rise. The other major type of ice that's melting in the Arctic is sea ice or ice that forms in seawater. When it melts, it does not increase global sea level but it does amplify the warming in that region, which is already warming two to four times faster than the rest of the world. And so that has real big climate implications. It also has ecological and economic implications because uh, certain animals like walruses and polar bears depend on sea ice as their habitat. And shipping is much easier to achieve in the Arctic when you don't have a thick ice pack. So all of these changes that are quickly happening in the Arctic have a lot of societal and ecological ramifications. Amid all these changes, and you touched on uh, the human um, impact of these things from long ago, but just give us a, a real quick click list of, of the key human contributor to climate change in 2024. Well, if you're thinking long-term climate change, it's always the human influence. Um, the, the fact that we've put so much carbon into the atmosphere, highest levels of CO2 potentially in millions, well, certainly in, in millions of years, perhaps as many as 14 million, according to recent research. Um, so there's always that. Um, but in addition, this year and ne- this year and last year, we had a very strong El Nino event, so unusually strong warming in the tropical Pacific Ocean waters. And that alters weather patterns all around the world, and including here in North America. And that probably con- has contributed to our generally mild winter until the past week. Um, and so those are two major uh, factors for our climate this year. And some people have speculated that the big underground or underwater volcano uh, a year or two ago in the Pacific could have put enough um, water vapor into the atmosphere to also amplify the warming. Hmm. So that's still being researched, but that's another potential factor. Do you believe that the genie is out of the bottle with regard to humans correcting behaviors and consumption in time to arrest climate change? I think we we shouldn't view this in a binary way, like either we stop climate change or we don't. Mm. Um, Climate change is going to continue to happen. There's enough so-called warming in the pipeline, um, emissions that haven't yet been realized in terms of temperature change, that we're going to continue. It's sort of like a a fast-moving train. You can't just stop it on a dime. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what we can do is reduce the, the pace of change, just like slowing down that train, and then eventually bring it to a halt. Um, And so there are a lot of initiatives at the federal level, federal government, state government, uh, private industry and consumers that are heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But we need to accelerate that pace because we are really behind the the eight ball here. You keep track of the Madison Lakes first freeze and thaw dates. What, What can you tell us about those trends in the last 50 years or last 100 years or more? The Madison Lake record is phenomenal. Uh, Lake Minona and Lake Mendota have a 170-year-long continuous record. Winger is a little more uh, spotty than that. By record, what do you mean? Oh, oh, Um, a record kept. 
Yeah, a record cap, yeah. right? So the dates at, on which the the ice forms mm-hmm. in the in the winter and when it melts off in the spring, yeah. and it's very unusual to have a, such a long and continuous climate record. Mm-hmm. And the ice records not just the temperature in a given month, but over many months from fall to spring, basically. So it gives us a good window into what the climate was like in the past, and it shows clearly that Madison's climate has been warming over the years. Uh, if you look at the average amount uh, or duration of ice cover back in the 1800s, it was um, uh, nearly four months out of the year. And in the 20th century, it dropped to about three and a half months. And in the 21st century, it's only three months. So we've gone from nearly four months to, to you know, down to three months. And one winter in the 1800s, in 1880-81, the ice was on the lakes on Mendota for five and a half months. God! Nearly half the year. Oh, my God! It didn't didn't melt until May. I just, you know, (laughs) we've never achieved anything close to that in recent years. What uh, year was that again? Temperature. Uh, the winter of 1880-81, yeah, wow. we had a phenomenal amount of snow. Yes. It was terribly cold. Um, but it's a reminder that the climate can be very, very different from what we experience <laughs> now. This is silly, but I can't resist asking a climatologist. What's your favorite season as a Wisconsinite? Oh, you know, it, it's you're not going to like this answer because it's it's wishy washy. But I, there's things about every season I like. Um, I do enjoy the the chill of winter and getting out and walking on the lakes and cross country skiing and so forth. But it's not easy to go for a long bike ride in the winter if you have degrees. So I, I like that part about summer better. Um, and then the, the fall colors. Uh, so you know, it depends. Uh, and as a, a meteorologist, climatologist, there's always something to enjoy. It's always changing. It's weather is like theater. Uh, mm. something always to keep track of. I, I don't think that's a wishy-washy answer at all, especially someone that uh, that's in your line of work. Steve Barvis, thank you for joining us on the Friday Buzz, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for the invitation. You're so welcome. Steve Everest is a senior scientist at UW-Madison Nelson Institute Center for Climatic Research.